and welcome to the Decorum Talking Newspaper for the week ending Saturday the 30th of April 2022. This is Chris and your other readers tonight are Kathy, Jeremy and Pam. The editor this week is Eleanor. All the members of Team One. Most of our news items are taken from the Hemel Hempstead, Burke Hempstead and Tring Gazette and Express newspaper. All telephone numbers are on the local code of 01442 unless otherwise stated. This week's headlines. Please help our daughter. Family appeals for land to build a home on. Dad urges others to help refugees after Ukraine visit. These and other stories follow. Here is the news. Hello, this is Kathy. A girl with a rare disease needs a specialist house. The family of a Hemel Hempstead tot who was diagnosed with a rare disease is appealing for help to find land suitable for a specialist bungalow for their little girl. One-year-old Lexi Robbins from Hemel Hempstead has fibrodysplasia ossificans progressiva, a disease that turns her body to stone and needs a wheelchair-friendly home. Doctors have said it is crucial that she lives in a safe environment. Her parents, Alex and Dave Robbins, have sold their house and are living with Alex's mum as they wait to find a suitable property to renovate or a plot of land to build the bungalow. Mum Alex says that they hope to work with their occupational therapist to create a risk-free safe environment for her to live and play, protecting her to the best of their ability, improving her quality and hopefully life expectancy. She is asking for anyone who has any suitable non-greenbelt land to help as the family needs somewhere local to build on. The couple who also have a son called Ronnie says that Lexi's condition is dependent on how protected she is in her day-to-day life, and any knock to her muscles could cause her body to seize up at any moment. Alex said, we've got doctor's reports saying that it's crucial that she's kept safe and she needs to live in a safe environment. Lexi's disease gradually replaces muscle and connective tissues like tendons and ligaments with bone. Only one in one million people worldwide suffer from the condition. Hello, this is Jeremy. A father of three drove to Ukraine in April to work in refugee camps and to transport people to European countries. Jack Borum from Hemel Hempstead returned home last week taking four refugees to Birmingham after spending just under a month in Ukraine helping people as the war continues. The 30-year-old was inspired to go over to Ukraine to aid those living amid the conflict after seeing the devastating scenes on the news. He said, people don't realise it's real, you know. When When you're actually there with them, it's unimaginable. With support from his wife, Kirsty, Jack, who owns a local removal company, travelled in his car to Ukraine. I decided to go out there I was meant to be out there for a week, but got a bit wrapped up in it and ended up being out there for just under a month, he said. Jack added, hearing the stories from the people I picked up was heartbreaking, genuinely heartbreaking. I've never cried so much. Since returning home, 
Jack hasn't stopped his efforts for Ukraine, having helped arrange flights and drive people from airports to host families across England. He said, we funded drivers going over with their fuel or hire cars and minibuses. Despite only returning home last week, he plans to go over again at the start of May to continue to help and is asking other local people to do the same. Jack explained, the aid and funding is important, but if anybody wanted to be a bit more hands-on, then I can definitely help them with that because a lot of people don't know where to start. On Wednesday night last week, Jack picked up a Ukrainian family from Luton Airport and dropped them off in Southampton. Another family is due to be flown over to the UK in the next few weeks. His fundraising page raised over £3,800 to cover hotel and transport costs for himself and refugees he transported to 13 countries, and he used his own money in some cases. Anyone who would like to help with costs can do so via justgiving.com slash crowdfunding slash jack hyphen borum hyphen two. Hello, this is Pam. This week in history, April 26th, 1986, an accident at the Soviet nuclear power station at Chernobyl resulted in a massive radiation leak. On this day last year, Princess Diana's wedding dress would go on show at Kensington Palace for the first time in 25 years, it was announced. April 27, 1968, abortion was legalised in Britain. April 28, 1945, Benito Mussolini and his mistress, Claretta Petacci, were executed by Italian partisans and their bodies hung in a square in Milan. On this day last year, a man went viral on social media after completing a six-year challenge to park in every parking space at his local Sainsbury's. April 29, 1933, footballers' shirts were first numbered from 1 to 22, in the English FA Cup final at Wembley. On this day last year, the Duke and Duchess of Cambridge, William and Kate, celebrated their, their 10th wedding anniversary. April 30th, 1993, tennis player Monica Sellers was stabbed by an obsessed fan during a quarter-final match of the 1993 Citizen Cup in Hamburg, Germany. May the 1st, 1968, Legoland Family Park opened at Billund in Denmark. And on this day last year, a monster fatberg thought to weigh some 300 tonnes was found to be blocking a sewer beneath Birmingham. Next we have an article by Roy Wood, Vice President and Honorary Secretary of Hemel Hempstead Local History and Museum Society on the history of Hemel Hempstead's hospitals. The article has been heavily edited for inclusion in this recording. Our story begins back in 1898 when a charter was granted to Hemel Hempstead by Queen Victoria which effectively made the town a municipal borough, thus enabling the people of the town to elect 
the posts of mayor, bailiff and an alderman. The first elected mayor of Hemel Hempstead from 1898 to 1900 was Sir Astley Paston Cooper. Paston Cooper was an eminent surgeon widely acknowledged in the medical profession, especially in the fields of cerebral circulation and vascular surgery. It was Sir Astley Paston Cooper who would give Hemel Hempstead its very first hospital in 1826. This was a cottage hospital housed in a row of old cottages known to date from the 15th century in the Pickett's End area of the town. These were turned into an infirmary which would serve districts from Bushy to Tring and as far away as Redbourne, Harpenden and St Albans. This hospital opened in, on January the 1st, 1827 and surgeons undertook operations without the use of anaesthetic and worked hard to develop new techniques for limb amputations. Some 35 inpatients and 426 outpatients were treated by the third year. However, such was the size of the area the hospital was trying to accommodate, it became obvious that a new hospital would be needed. It was in 1831 that Sir John Seabright, MP for Hertfordshire, put up £13,000 of his own money to fund a new building in Marlowe's, known as the West Hearts Infirmary, later Cheer House, the name by which we still know it today. It was later known in 1878 as the King's College Convalescent Home. Continuing... The Hemel Hempstead Union Workhouse was erected during 1835-36 and was located at the east side of Redbourne Road, now Allendale, at a cost of £3,500, authorised by the newly formed Hemel Hempstead Poor Law Union. It would house some 200 inmates. By the latter part of the 1860s, a purpose-built separate 40-bed infirmary had been added at the rear of the property, Later, towards the end of the century, the eastern side of the property was occupied by an isolation hospital for the treatment of infectious diseases, with its main entrance opening onto Highfield Lane, now Queensway. By the 1920s, the isolation building had become a children's home, and there was another separate home directly at the north of the site, at a house known as East Lodge. With the approach of World War II, temporary ward blocks were erected as part of the emergency medical services. During 1948, the site joined the National Health Service as a maternity hospital and became known as St Paul's Hospital. By 1898, however, the need was felt to erect a more modern isolation hospital for the area. Thus, a wooden hut was erected on Highfield Lane in Hemel Hempstead. It was run by the local authority for the use of patients only within that district, namely the area surrounding Hemel Hempstead. In 1913, it was decided to erect a purpose-built building at Bennett's End with a total of 45 beds. We now move to the site on Hillfield Road, known to, be us, to us previously as the West Hertfordshire Infirmary and up to 1970 as the West Hearts Hospital. The story begins in 1877 with the opening of what we look upon today as the main block. The ceremony was performed by Princess Mary, Duchess of Teck, 
mother of Queen Mary. There was room for some 50 patients and accommodation for several nurses. In 1899, the hospital acquired X-ray facilities. It is thought this was one of the first hospitals in England to do so. 1914, of course, saw the beginning of World War I, and to accommodate sick and wounded members of the armed forces, extra beds were added in the Windsor Wing. And continuing on further, work on the new Marnham Ward began in 1926, and the Prince of Wales was on hand to lay the foundation stone. Continuing from this, the period 1929 to 1939 saw the hospital make significant headway. Operating theatres were added, together with a private ward, and a chapel also came into being. Also in 1939, a new children's ward was opened. In 1948, the National Health Service was established, and this led to the amalgamation of the two units in Hemel under the new name of Hemel Hempstead General Hospital. However, the growth of Hemel Hempstead, now a new town, continued to push the hospital to its limits. And so, during 1952, developments to improve the situation began. The West Hearts Wing became the main site for surgery and outpatients, and the St Paul's Wing became a specialised maternity unit handling all maternity cases requiring medical treatment. Later, in 1959, Queen Elizabeth, the Queen Mother, came to Hemel Hempstead to open a brand new outpatients department and a new block which would house an extra 58 beds. A further improvement arrived in 1967 when, following an appeal by the then mayor, a new play centre was opened which offered a valuable service caring for small children of parents and relatives. Later, in 1968, a new coronary care unit was opened up at St Paul's Wing. During the 1970s, the West Hearts Wing continued to develop and expand its services. 1988 was a year of tragedy and jubilation. Cheer House was badly damaged due to an electrical fire. The immediate decision was to demolish the building. However, following protestations from medical staff, it was agreed to completely refurbish the building and turn it into a new postgraduate centre. The next 10 years or so saw many changes made, including the addition of three new wings named Tudor, Verulam and Windsor. The Queen Elizabeth block was refurbished and a new, larger A&E department was put in place. Somewhat sadly, 1989 would see the decision taken to completely close the St Paul's Wing and relocate all the services to the West Hearts Wing at Hillfield Road. In 2004, Hemel Hempstead, St Albans, Mount Vernon and Watford General Hospital Trusts were brought under one umbrella to become the West Hertfordshire Hospitals Trust. 2008 saw the opening of an urgent care centre for patients who need immediate treatment but whose injuries were not life-threatening. 
2009, saw the Trust embark on a series of significant redevelopments, including the redesigning and relocation of the outpatient and therapy departments. There was also the opening of a new GP-led health centre. It was during 2014 that the West Primary Care Trust took the decision to lead on the development of a new purpose-built general hospital for Hemel Hempstead and the surrounding areas, which would incorporate the services of a local general hospital and possibly even others. Today, the saga continues. A boys' school in Boxmoor held a five-mile sponsored walk to raise money for charity. Lockers Park Prep School has raised £2,300 after holding a five-mile sponsored walk for local children's hospice, the Pepper Foundation, and the Colette School in Hemel Hempstead. There were more than 250 people at the walk, with pupils, parents, staff and some four-legged friends in attendance on March the 30th. Headmaster Gavin Taylor said, This is a special event that not only teaches our pupils the importance of compassion and a sense of responsibility about the world they live in, but also shows them what can be achieved by joining forces. The school is still appealing for donations to reach its £5,000 goal, with all the funds raised going to a children's hospice in Tring, the Pepper Foundation, and a Hemel Hempstead School for Children with Complex Needs, the Colette School. Pat Daly, chair of the Hertfordshire-based Pepper Foundation, said, The Pepper Foundation raises funds for children's hospice at home nursing services, supporting families and helping children living with complex health needs to enjoy the best quality of life possible. Thank you to Lockers Park for thinking of us. The money raised will go directly to help local children. 28 pupils from Colette School joined the walk and their head teacher Jenny Witter said, We rely heavily on donations from a range of different sources, including amazing fundraising events such as this. A couple from Aldbury say the Coram Borough Council has left them homeless after they retired at the end of March. But the council has said it is committed to ensuring that all those in the borough that are homeless or threatened with homelessness have access to support and advice and are assisted with sourcing suitable accommodation that meets their needs. Philip and Christine Halsey who both have medical conditions, have lived in a property at Castle Village that came with their jobs at the retirement community in Berkhampstead. They moved out of their accommodation after they both retired from working in maintenance and laundry at Castle Village. Philip said, give us a house somewhere. We can't bid for one bedroom house. We want a two bed if we can because we're both registered disabled. His wife Christine said, I'm not happy, it's very stressful, we don't know whether we are coming or going. A spokesman from the Coram Borough Council said, We have been working with the couple concerned in relation to their housing situation and have identified a suitable property for them. They added, We have offered them the option of temporary accommodation until the property is ready for them to move into and we are currently in communication with them regarding this 
and any other support they may require. The couple say properties they have been offered have been unsuitable as they require ground floor accommodation as they have COPD and arthritis and a garden for their dog. Philip said, all they want to do now is to put us in a a shared sheltered accommodation or bed and breakfast. We don't really want that, obviously. So we need a garden and they're sending us to places that we can bid on that are two storeys up, flats with no parking. Currently, the couple are staying at a family's house while they wait for their own place. At the moment, the wife's brother has gone to Mexico for holiday for two weeks. So we're dog and house sitting for them until he gets back. And then nothing, said Philip. A man from Hemel Hempstead led his 200th walk along a Bluebell Trail for a ramblers group on Sunday, April 24th. Paul guides the children young walkers, a ramblers group aimed at people in their 20s and 30s. The special walk on Sunday followed the legendary Bluebells of Ashridge Trail, which saw the group pass through a donated gate commemorating their relaunch. After years leading walks, Paul has some advice for any aspiring walk guides. Choose something you already know. It takes some of the pressure off finding the right path. He added, The first walk I led for the group is one I did with a friend taken from a book of local walks. I adjusted it a little to avoid a busy road and make it a little longer. The walks, which are held across Buckinghamshire, West Hertfordshire and West Middlesex, take place every weekend. The Prime Minister was asked to support West Hart's Teaching Hospitals Trust plans for development at three hospitals during Prime Minister's questions on April 20th. In response to a question from Dean Russell, Watford Conservative MP, Boris Johnson said, There will be a new hospital scheme in his local area and it's part of our plan to deliver 48 new hospitals in this country by 2030. Plans would see redevelopment at Watford, St Albans and Hemel Hempstead hospitals as part of the NHS long-term plan. The news comes as Health Secretary Sajid Javid met with the Trust's chairman, Phil Townsend, and Watford Conservative MP Dean Russell in Westminster on April 11th. They discussed the plans for a £900 million development across West Hertfordshire hospitals, which could see Watford General Hospital move its services into new buildings and extensive refurbishments to the Hemel Hempstead and St Albans sites. Phil Townsend said, We were very grateful for the opportunity to present our shovel-ready plans for our three hospitals. It was good to explain how our proposal addresses the urgent need to provide new and better buildings. He added, He also heard how keen our workforce is to see change and that they support our plans. It was an encouraging meeting and we very much appreciate the time and attention given to our proposals. Watford General Hospital has recently had a multi-storey car park built to help the hospital's needs. Vet's warning after saving puppy. A young Labrador was rushed to the vet's after swallowing a sharp piece of flintstone while playing in the garden with his family. 
the ten-week-old puppy who had swallowed a spiky stone, was operated on by veterinary surgeon Lauren Emsden and stayed over at the village vet on Berkhamsted High Street. Lauren is now using this case to warn other dog owners about the dangers of their pets swallowing sharp objects, especially breeds which are known for trying to eat things they shouldn't. She said it was a particularly nasty, jagged piece of stone, which left untreated could have caused problems for Stanley further down the line. It's why we'd always recommend that owners seek expert veterinary help if they're worried their pet has swallowed something they shouldn't have. Stanley is none the worse for wear thanks to the quick intervention by Lauren and her team at Village Vet. Lauren said, we're pleased to say Stanley's issue was quite straightforward to deal with and had no complications. She added, after 24 hours in hospital and a week of rest at home, he's back to his normal bouncy self. Hertfordshire County Council's library services have secured funding for a two-year scheme to improve youth volunteering. As part of the Volunteering Futures programme by Arts Council England, the money secured by Hertfordshire County Council will be used to fund My Voice, a project aimed at increasing and improving volunteering opportunities for 16 to 24-year-olds. A Youth Voice board of young people is due to be created, which will be a space for members to share their views and input that will help to shape the future of the county's libraries. The project will be run alongside DS Achieve, Hearts Sports Partnership and the Ollie Foundation, which will support library-based initiatives for young local people, including career development, mental health and community engagement for those in marginalised groups. Director of Customer Engagement and Libraries at Hertfordshire County Council, Taryn Pearson-Rose, said, My Voice is an exciting and ambitious programme that will transform library volunteering for young people by ensuring that their voice contributes to shaping our future library services and its cultural offer. While our libraries already provide many valuable services to young people across Hertfordshire, it will be really exciting to see how these develop and improve under the guidance of the very people they have been created to support. A countryside group is calling on local residents to reject a proposal for a 1,400 home village on the eastern side of Tring. Chiltern Countryside Group, CCG, is urging people to object to a planning application to develop a village in Tring. The CCG is responding to the Marshcroft Garden Village application by Harrow Estates, which has submitted plans for a village to be built by 2033. Harrow Estates has said changes to the application were made following a public consultation. A statement said... We are grateful for the feedback received from the community which has helped inform the submitted plans. It continued, We are delighted to submit these carefully designed plans for Marshcroft, Gar Marshcroft Garden Village suburb, which will help deliver much-needed new homes in Tring. The Countryside Group, which is asking people to contact local councils, says that the proposed village site is on Greenbelt and Grade 2 agricultural land. 
The complaint from the group also said that the site falls within the Chilterns Beechwoods special area of conservation and would spoil the area of outstanding natural beauty. A statement from the group said, please object to these proposals which would have an extremely detrimental effect on our Chiltern countryside. It's an outstanding national natural beauty and the market town of Tring. The time frame of development is 11 years, according to the CCG, which they said would be long drawn out adverse impacts of construction, loss of amenity and increased demand on local resources without obligation for developer to provide infrastructure. Card Collectors Convention. An annual convention run by the Cartophilic Society of Great Britain will welcome card collectors from across the UK in Hemel Hempstead this weekend. Hemel Hempstead Leisure Centre will play host to a card collecting convention on Saturday and Sunday this week, April 30th and May the 1st. The event, run by Cardworld and the Cartophilic Society of Great Britain, will feature scores of different advertising cards, including some issued in the 19th century. Dealers from across the UK will be at the event and will offer advice and valuations for attendees. JS Cards, one of the leading cigarette card dealers in the UK, will be at the convention with cards to sell. Each card has its own value depending on its scarcity, condition, subject matter or quirkiness. Cards can vary in value from a few pence to hundreds of pounds each. Councils in Hertfordshire have started to pay out £150 to thousands of households in an effort to help with the rising cost of living. The government announced the council tax rebate, which will see the majority of households given a one-off payment in response to a hike in energy prices. To qualify for the rebate, your property must be in council tax band A to D and your sole or main residence. The £150 does not need to be paid back and is separate from a scheme that will see energy bills cut by £200 in October. To recover the £200, energy bills will include a £40 a year levy from the following April. While this is a government scheme, each council is using its own systems to ensure payments are made. In decorum, payments are set to start from April 29th for those who pay their council tax by direct debit. On its website, the Borough Council said around 45,000 payments will be made as part of the scheme and new processes were being set up to facilitate the payments. For those with a direct debit instalment date of April 1st or April 10th, the payment will be received on April 29th. For those who have a council tax direct debit date of April 21st, the payment will be received on May the 6th with those paying their first council tax instalment on May the 1st, receiving payment on May the 13th. For those who don't pay by direct debit, or where the rebate cannot be paid into the bank account, the council would write directly by May the 13th. April the 11th saw a rise in the state pension of 3.1% take effect for millions of pensioners. 
But this rise is blindsided by the further increase in living costs that they are about to face. A recent survey of 2,000 adults revealed that 56% feel that they cannot live comfortably with the cost of living increase. The increase for those receiving a full new state pension from £179.60 a week to £185.15 a week over a year equates to a rise from £9,339 to £9,628, or £289 a year more. For those receiving a full basic state pension, the rise from £137.60 a week to £141.85 is an increase from £7,155 to £7,376, or an extra £211 a year. The average energy bill rise this year is expected to hit £693, more than three times the increase in the basic state pension and 2.4 times the rise in the new state pension. These pointers compiled by equity release experts' sovereign boss are designed to help to make life a little easier for anyone struggling with unmanageable costs. Take advantage of all benefits available, such as www.gov.uk forward slash the hyphen warm hyphen home hyphen discount hyphen scheme warm homes discount. Check availability for pension credit if you are a low income pensioner. You may be entitled for a number of reasons, such as not receiving a full state pension. Take advantage of discounts at local shops and venues that aim to help older people. Leisure centres offer discounts for the, the over 60s and Boots offer special rewards for over 60s with advantage cards, among many others. Get involved in the sharing economy to avoid having to buy new things. Apps like Nextdoor and local Facebook groups allow you to post requests to borrow items you need to use but you don't own. Now we come to the information slot. This is followed by the obituaries, what's on, letters to the editor and any more news. Community transport running to local stores in May. Hemel Hempstead on the 6th of May to Morrison's, on the 20th of May to Sainsbury's. Berkhamsted on the 4th and 18th of May to Waitrose. Tring on the 12th and 26th of May to Tesco's. Bovingdon on the 16th and 30th of May to Sainsbury's Apsley Mills. Kings Langley on the 9th and 23rd of May to Sainsbury's. To book your seat each week on the door-to-door -door minibus, please call 212-888. There may be a small charge. Mobile phone scam. Information from OWL Messaging, Hearts Police and Neighbourhood Watch. An O2 scam targeting customers in the United Kingdom is offering ridiculous discounts and phone plans in return for your one-time security codes. 
At a time when the cost of living is rising in the United Kingdom, many of us are worried about the looming energy price cap disaster and finances are often stretched thin. The prospect of being the lucky customer eligible for a discount of 35% to 40% on your phone plan is an attractive one. At least, that's what the callers on the end of the phone try to tell you. The, the caller sounds delighted in informing you that you can take advantage of a substantial discount on your plan. Even before they finish their pitch, you receive a text message which is legitimate O2 communication, a one-time code that customers can use to access their accounts if they forget their password, for example. This is how the scam works. The cold caller asks if you want to take advantage of the discount. At the same time, the scammer visits the O2 sign-in page, types in your phone number, and asks for a one-time code to access your account. In order to apply the discount, they only need the code they have just sent to your handset. If you hand over the code, they can then access your details. Reports suggest the team has also impersonated Carphone Warehouse and Three and are offering discounts, new phone contracts and a 100% discount on phone charges. Worth keeping an eye out for. And as always, you should never hand over these details. If in doubt, cut the call and ring your service provider directly. Remember, if someone calls you claiming to be from O2, they would never ask for one-time passcodes, passwords and PINs, or personal information like your bank details. So make sure you check who they are by asking where they're calling from. If you have any doubts, just give them a call to check. If you need to reply regarding this message, use the following email address, wlo at hearts.pnn.police.uk. Now we have two musical items you might like to hear. Claire Hammond at St Mary's Church, Luton, May the 2nd. Luton Music presents a recital by award-winning concert pianist and recording artist Claire Hammond. The programme includes Beethoven's Sonata in C Major, Op 2, No. 3, and Clara Schumann's Scherzo, No. 2, in C Minor, Op 14. Visit lutonmusic.org.uk to book. And Eight Seasons, Old Town Hall, Hemel Hempstead, May the 6th. Symphonia Academica play Vivaldi's Baroque masterpiece, The Four Seasons, the seductive tango music of Piazzolla's The Four Seasons of Buenos Aires, and bring a hint of Spanish colour with Manuel de Falla's Danza from La Vida Breve. Visit oldtownhall.co.uk to book. The obituaries on the family announcement page this week are Michael David Cousins, aged 74, and Eunice Clarice Swallow, aged 90. May they both rest in peace.
String Together Spring Fair, 23rd of April to the 8th of May. Enjoy free activities from yoga and aerobics to Nordic walking, art exhibitions, local festivals and markets, to arts and crafts, live concerts and business networking. The Friends of Tring Church Heritage have a family fun day on 7th of May and Ridgeway Chorale will be giving a concert also on the 7th of May. For further information, ring 828-920. Vocal Eyes. Vocal Eyes is a registered charity in England that works with arts organisations across the United Kingdom to identify and remove barriers to access and inclusion for blind and partially sighted people. Established in 1998, its primary activity is to provide live audio descriptions of theatrical plays. The organisation has subsequently worked with museums, galleries and heritage venues to deliver audio descriptions for exhibitions as well as conducting research and training to increase dis disability access to the arts. The charity has worked with Open House London, the Royal National Institute of Blind People and the Art Fund. The 2012 London Beyond Sight campaign, organised by Vocal Eyes, recruited celebrities from London, such as Andrew Sachs, Alison Steadman and Barbara Windsor, to record audio descriptions of London landmarks so that they could be enjoyed by people who could not see them. In 2013, the project won a Jodie Award for the best use of digital technology in widening access for disabled people. And in 2016, the recordings were released under an open license. On 8th of October 2008, it set the Guinness World Record for the largest audience for audio described theatre. 168 people at a performance of Les Miserables at the Queen's Theatre on Shaftesbury Avenue in London. Some events described by Vocal Eyes coming soon include Les Miserables at the Sondheim Theatre, London, on Sunday 8th of May at 2.30pm. Tickets are £37.50. Booking contact number is 0344-482-5137. Booking contact email, access at delfontmackintosh.co.uk. And the Postal Museum, London, an audio-described tour on Tuesday 10th of May at 2.30pm. Tickets £3.50, booking contact number 0300 0300 700. Booking contact email boxoffice at postalmuseum.org. Discover five centuries of extraordinary communications history and take an immersive ride on Mail Rail, London's secret PO underground railway. Some information on outings in May and June 2022. Thursday the 5th of May, Hatfield House, a living craft exhibition, £16.50. Thursday the 19th of May, 
Cambridge, walk, free. Thursday the 9th of June, the Waterways Experience, boat trip, £25. Tuesday the 21st of June, World's End Garden Centre, £9. To book, please ring Community Action Decorum Transport Manager, Monday to Friday, 9 to 3pm, on 212888, or 617634, or the switchboard on 253935. Now two letters. Betty Rose thinks electric cars are too expensive. And she says, why are electric cars so expensive? I would love to drive without creating so much pollution, but these wonder vehicles are out of reach of most people financially. It seems ridiculous that we are in a climate crisis, but little is done to make them more affordable. Can't governments do something to make the price come down? It can't be impossible for electric cars to be put within reach, particularly as the more we make, the cheaper they should become. I think those with the real power are those with most money and those we vote for are pretty much a waste of space. If they can't do simple things like this, what is the point of elections? Robert Scott, who is a fellow of the Chartered Institute of Building, writes, Relocate, don't revamp. Helen Brown's confidence in the ability of the West Hearts Trust to successfully deliver the redevelopment of Watford Hospital with the minimum of disruption demonstrates to me that the Trust has no perception of what would be involved. The Trust are delivering a car park and a theatre overhaul and managing maintenance, but that limited experience hardly equips them to manage the £1.25 billion complex construction project that Miss Brown aspires to. And they plan to do that while trying to run an acute hospital on effectively the same site. This is the same trust that has run up a maintenance backlog that would cost £380 million to rectify and has resulted in over 1,000 reactive call-outs per month. Before this, the trust was criticised in a compliance report for a lack of knowledge and poor management of their estate. The risks of delays involved in finding and securing a new site pale into insignificance against those associated with redeveloping an operational hospital estate, particularly one in such poor condition. Few other trusts faced with similar circumstances have opted to redevelop, and few have completed them on time, on budget and without disruption. I would suggest it is extremely unlikely that the Trust will be allocated the funding they are seeking out of the NHS's limited pot. If only a part of the Trust's redevelopment plans were to be approved, it would just defer the inevitable, as practically the whole Watford estate requires urgent replacement. It would cost even more and cause greater disruption over a longer period. Ms Brown's argument about the time required to secure and prepare an alternative site has been made many times since before 2017. That could easily have been done by now. Let's get on with it, please.
and now basketball. Hemel Storm suffered NBL Division I playoff final heartbreak as they were edged out 71-69 by Team Solent Kestrels in Manchester. A last quarter comeback wasn't quite enough for Vanarama-sponsored Storm as they were eventually beaten in a low-scoring contest. Storm started well and two baskets from American guard Taylor Johnson gave them an early 4-0 lead. But Kestrels had a strong finish to the opening quarter and established a 21-13 advantage. Storm limited Kestrels to five points in the first four minutes of the second corner, but a series of turnovers gave Kestrels some easy baskets on the fast breaks, which was the overall deciding factor between the two teams. Trailing 41-33 at half-time, things got worse for Storm as a Max Richardson dunk forced Drew Spinks into a further timeout. After this, the focus seemed to be regained with better decisions being made and they went into the final quarter trailing Kestrels 56-45. Storm were a credit to their huge army of fans who made the long journey to Manchester, but their remarkable season, which saw them win best match night experience and Johnson making it into the NBL Division I team of the year, is now over. And now football. Hemel Hempstiff Town have issued a lifetime ban to a fan following a racial abuse incident after their 4-0 defeat to Maidstone United at Vauxhall Road at the weekend. In a strongly worded statement, the Tudors also said that they will be trying to get the individual concerned barred from every football club in the country. Mark Jones' team were well beaten by the Vanarama National League South leaders on the pitch, but off the field, the club took an immediate strong stance following the incident. A racial abuse incident took place at Hemel Hempstead Town Football Club after the final whistle, a club statement said. Hemel Hempstead Town Football Club wants it to be known this type of behaviour will not be tolerated at our club. The person in question has been identified and barred from our club for life. And for the, furthermore, we will attempt to get this person barred from every football club in the country. Unfortunately, the behaviour of some of the Maidstone fans was unacceptable and spoiled a really nice afternoon except for the result. We will stand strong against racial abuse every time and Hevel Hempstead Town Football Club apologises to the player concerned and be assured we will endeavour to wipe this type of behaviour from the face of the earth. The Tudors have a bank holiday doubleheader this weekend, as they travel to Braintree Town on Saturday, before hosting Havant and Waterlooville in their last home game of the season on Monday. And now cricket. Hemel Hempstead Town began their preparations for the new season with a friendly win over local rivals West Hearts. Hemel included five newcomers in their side, including Brad Finch, who has returned from Abbots Langley, and he picked up a wicket in the first over of the day as West Hearts were kept under tight control. All seven Hemel bowlers took a wicket as West Hearts were bowled out for 167 in 44 overs. In reply, Ben Mannering, who has joined from Boxmoor, ground out 21 from 69 balls, 
before Matt Parkins added 23 and then Finch bludgeoned 42 from 28 with four fours and three sixes to seal victory on 168 for six. A young Hemel second side, meanwhile, were edged out by eight runs against their West Hearts counterparts. West Hearts second were bowled out for 216 in 44 overs, with Matt Hodgins returning five for 36 from 8.4 overs. Phil Smith struck 69 at the top of the order, and then Tom Waterton added 45 before having to retire hurt. West Hearts were just able to keep a tight enough grip on. Golf. Mick Milne won this year's Bryn Aldridge Charity Shield at Little Hay Golf Club. Milne's 10 pars with birdies on the 1st and 13th holes saw him return a fine 39 points with Thomas Ashton 3 adrift and Tong Say 3rd on counterback. One of the largest fields of the year took part in this month's senior Stableford. Roger Sparks scored an excellent 41 points to win ahead of Wael Aljawad, 40, and Christopher Murray, 38. And swimming. Both ends of the age scale were racing for Berkhamsted Swimming Club over the weekend. Six age groupers went to the Wickham Long Course 50-metre pool competition, while three members swam at the Newmarket Masters Meet. At Wickham, newcomer nine-year-old Mia Monksmith took on the 50-metre breaststroke as her first ever open meet race and came first in her heat, posting 1 minute 0.01.02 to take silver in her age group. Lucy Franklin, aged 11, clocked 49.01 for sixth in her age group. Meanwhile, Kate Hopper, aged 14, began the meet with bronze in the 50-metre breaststroke in 39.91. In the 100-metre freestyle, Hopper lopped 0.26 from her previous long-course best to claim gold in 29.58, finishing second in her heat against older swimmers as well. Sophie Zezar, aged 10, joined the party for the 50-metre freestyle and managed to go sub-40 seconds, with 39.82 for 10th in her category. Franklin was second in her heat, fractionally slower than Zezar, in 40.38, while Monksmith posted a third place in her heat with 44.55 and took her second medal of the meet with bronze. Hopper's final swim of the session and the meet was the 100-metre fly and she smashed her personal best by nine seconds. Coming home second in her heat, again, she stopped the clock in one minute, 17.80, for gold and the time equates to a faster time than her short course best as well. For the boys, Will Franklin and Darshan McGregor represented the club in both the 100-metre breaststroke and 100-metre freestyle events. Franklin had experience of long-course swimming once before, but McGregor was another first-time swimmer at a 50-metre pool. In the breaststroke, Franklin won his heat in 1 minute 52.65, with McGregor coming third in his in 1 minute 40.21. Then in the freestyle, Franklin claimed seventh overall in 1 minute 24.12, with McGregor coming home 18th 
14-year-old boy with uh, 1 minute 10, 40, uh, 96. In Newmarket, Charles MacDonald and daughter Ellie teamed up alongside Mark Strakosch at the Masters meet. Strakosch started things rolling with the 400-metre freestyle, where, returning from injury, he picked up the silver medal in 5 minutes 27.46, before following things up with gold in the 50 metre backstroke with 39.36 and silver in the 200 metre individual medley, stopping the clock at 3 minutes 0.06.65. In his final two events, the 100 metre backstroke and 50 metre breaststroke, he improved his entry times to take gold in the former, 1 minute 24.06, and fourth in the latter with 45 seconds 0.45. Both Sean and Ellie were entered in the 100 metre and 50 metre breaststroke events and the 100 metre freestyle. Starting with the longer breaststroke event, both came away with gold medals, Sean clocking 1 minute 41.72 and Ellie 1 minute 23.33. They then replicated their goals in the 50 metre races with Sean clocking 46.15 and Ellie 38.66, before Sean posted possibly her best swim of the meet in the 100 metre freestyle, with 1 minute 21.97, some three seconds faster than she had entered for a third consecutive gold. While Ellie was pleased with her silver medal in 1 minute 5.15. A reminder for those interested in sports news, on Saturday afternoon, Three Counties Radio broadcast on FM 103.8, Heart Radio are on FM 97.6, and Talk Sport are on Medium Wave 1089. Now some advice on how to avoid being stung this summer. Here comes the sun and shorts, t-shirts, sandals, picnics and afternoons outdoors. But this means insect bites and stings may also be more likely. Besides being itchy and sore, Dr. Deborah Lee from Dr. Fox Online Pharmacy says bites and stings may take several days to disappear and can become infected with bacteria. Insect bites can also worsen eczema, says Lee. And while most people will only have relatively mild symptoms, they can also cause more serious allergic reactions, including life-threatening anaphylaxis. For all these reasons, it's a good idea to take steps to minimise your risk of being bitten or stung, she advises. Wasps. If a wasp flies nearby or lands on you, don't flap your hand. Just stay still and let it fly off, says Lee. Wasps only usually sting if provoked. She suggests wearing shoes when walking on grass, Wearing white or pale yellow clothing has also been found to help keep wasps at bay. They have a very sweet tooth and highly sensitive sense of smell, so are instantly attracted to a picnic. Try filling a jam jar with jam, ginger syrup or beer, plus add a little washing up liquid, and place it a short distance away from your food, adds Lee. And if you get stung, if the sting is still in the skin, remove it gently with your fingernail or using a piece of gauze. Don't use tweezers as you can squeeze more venom into the skin. Wash the area with soap and warm water and pat dry. Apply a cold compress for around 10 minutes. 
Elevate the limb or area if possible. If it's itchy, try some antihistamines. Bees. Bees are gentle and will only sting if frightened, so when one comes near you, keep calm and still, says Lee. Avoid swatting it, it's likely to simply fly away. Stay away from flowers as bees feed on the nectar inside flowering plants. Bees like sweet things too, adds Lee, so always keep food in sealed containers and don't leave sweet foods outside uncovered. If bees appear, don't jump up and run away in a panic. Get up slowly and move cautiously in the opposite direction. Bees don't like panic. And if you get stung, same advice as a wasp sting. Mosquitoes. You can try out gadgets like the Thermosal Mosquito and Midge Protector or wear scented bracelets to try and keep pesky mozzies away. But the colour of your clothes makes a real difference to whether or not you get bitten. Go for light-coloured clothing. Don't wear black leggings as they will bite through the thin fabric, says Lee. They can even bite through jeans. Lee advises liberally applying a certified insect repellent containing DEET before you leave the house. And don't forget exposed areas such as your, your neck, fingers, ankles and wrists. Mosquitoes love stagnant water, so don't go near ponds. Other sources can be blocked guttering or even a watering tray underneath your plants. Mosquitoes are attracted by some smells such as lavender, so again avoid any perfumed body products. She continues, Citronella candles are ineffective because although mosquitoes don't like the smell of lemons, they're attracted by the carbon dioxide from burning the candle. If you get stung, wash the area with soap and water and pat dry with a towel, says Lee. Apply calamine lotion to help relieve the itching. Apply a cold compress for 5 to 10 minutes. And lastly, if you have a bad reaction, a normal bite or sting should heal within a few days, but any possible signs of anaphylaxis should be treated as a medical emergency. This includes difficulty breathing, feeling lightheaded, faint or confused, a fast heartbeat and unconsciousness, as well as symptoms like a red itchy rash, vomiting and swelling. With any insect bite or sting, if you have a bad reaction, or symptoms get worse, seek medical advice. We're coming to the end of this week's news. Sunrise and sunset times for this weekend are 5.39am and 20.20. For those with access to the internet, our news is uploaded to our website soon after the recording each week on Thursday evening. This can be found by visiting dtnhemmel.org.uk. If you wish to listen on Alexa, say, Alexa, open the talking newspaper skill. Alexa will ask you which broadcast you want to listen to. When prompted, reply, play the decorum talking newspaper. This part can be tricky. If Alexa offers the wrong station, just say no and then try again. For those who are listening to this week's news via a memory stick, after the music, there is the amenities section that gives details of various groups and the contact details of organisations. Please remove your memory stick carefully from the player and return it to us in the pouch provided. Seal it up firmly. 
turn the label over and post it back to us using any Royal Mail postbox. No stamp is required. Thank you for listening. Until next time, it's goodbye from all your readers, your editor Eleanor, and from Joe, your technician for this week. Goodbye. <laughs>